Hi, friends. I'm Tierney. And I'm Shelby. And this is a super spooky episode of... definitely have you thinking twice about going to any wax museums in the future when oh <laughs> no <laughs> whenever we get to leave our houses again that is don't go trying to go to a wax museum right now they shouldn't be open <laughs> in this episode i'll be telling you all about the curious tale of elmer mccurdy also known as the bandit who wouldn't give up oh my god <laughs> i just want to say i think wax museums are scary anyway <laughs> yeah and like as it, a kid i was like oh my god that's so cool i can take a picture of zach efron um but now i'm like why 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 do we have like, wha- yeah why? exactly i don't understand i don't get it it's it's weird yeah. <laughs> that being said though um uh what's her name what's the lady's name of the Mac- wax museum madame um, Tussaud. yeah if you want to put us in your wax museum, <laughs> let me know. Yeah, I'd like to be put in the entertainment section pretty much right next to Ariana Grande and wherever Lizzo is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. For this story, we're shooting a drink called The Dead Man Walking. What you're going to do is combine equal parts absinthe and Goldschlager into a shot glass. Now, shoot. That's it. So. Wow. Um, I remember in high school... Everybody thought that gold chogger had the gold pieces in it because when you drank it, the gold pieces would um, cut your throat and then the alcohol would get into your bloodstream faster. Who thought that? That's the most insane thing I've ever heard. Like Everyone thought that. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Oh, my oh, yeah. God. Yeah. All right. Well, that's crazy. Not as crazy as the story, though. So... Elmer McCurdy's early life isn't all that important to the story, so we'll speed run through that a bit. He was born in Washington, Maine on January 1st, 1880, to 17-year-old Sadie McCurdy. The identity of his father is unknown, but one possibility is Sadie's cousin, Charles Smith. So, that might tell you a little bit about him. Oh, no. They didn't tell McCurdy this until he was a teenager. Like, they, he, he was taken in by his uncle and his aunt. To save Sadie the shame of being an unwed teenage mother in this age. And then only later in life, after his uncle, who he thought was his father, died, they told him, oh, this lady's not your mother, this is your mother. At which point, he began drinking heavily and acting out. So. Gotcha. I mean, that makes sense. If everything you've ever been told has been a lie. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like, understand it. Yeah. It's a totally understandable reaction to learning that your life is a lie. Yeah. So. McCurdy worked as an apprentice plumber and was reportedly a competent worker that earned a comfortable living until the economic downturn of 1898. Then McCurdy lost his job and a few years later, his biological mother, Sadie, died, followed by his grandfather the very next month. So after that, McCurdy decided to leave Maine and started traveling around the eastern United States. He found jobs as a lead miner and a plumber, but 
was unable to keep any one position for a long time due to his alcoholism. Mm, that sounds like Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he liked the drink a little too much. Except yeah. this, McCurdy's not going to eat anybody. In oh, a side <laughs> note, I watched my friend Dahmer the mm-hmm. other day. It was yeah? really good. Oh, yeah? I really enjoyed it. Okay. I guess I should check it out. Where is that? Is that on uh, Prime or Hulu? I want to say it was on Hulu, but I don't remember. Okay, cool. Well, I'll but find yeah. it. In 1907, McCurdy joined the United States Army, which is where he learned how to use nitroglycerin for demolition purposes. It's important to note, though, that the extent of his training was most likely very minimal. But to the average civilian, this guy was like Vinnie Santorini, you know, the Italian demolitions expert from the Atlantis movie. Because everybody (laughs) else had zero idea how to work with nitroglycerin. He was honorably discharged on November 7th, 1910 and decided to make his way over to Kansas. Once there, McCurdy met up with an army friend, and on November 19th, both McCurdy and his friend were arrested for possession of burglary paraphernalia, meaning chisels, hacksaws, funnels for nitroglycerin, gunpowder, and money sacks. Okay, but that could also be possession of murder weapons. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they <laughs> like, could I think it's either. interesting <laughs> that they were like, oh, it's burglary paraphernalia. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Well, the two men told the judge that these tools were actually for building a foot-operated machine gun that they were inventing, and the jury bought it. So in (laughs) January, (laughs) which I guess is not a big deal, in 1911, because they were found not guilty, and shortly after his release from county jail, he would begin his short-lived career as a bank and train robber in earnest. Unfortunately, a majority of McCurdy's burglary attempts were bungled because he was completely incompetent. McCurdy really liked working with nitroglycerin, so he often incorporated it into his robberies. But it mostly caused more problems for the robbery. (laughs) For the robbers. Because he was way too excited about the idea of blowing something up, and he usually failed to correctly determine the amount of explosives needed. Yeah. (laughs) In one instance, McCurdy and two other bandits decided to rob the Iron Mountain, Missouri Pacific train because they heard that one of the cars contained a safe with $4,000 in it. The group of bandits managed to stop the train and locate the safe, but McCurdy put too much nitroglycerin on the safe's door to open it and ended up destroying the entire thing and the money inside. Oh, my God. He just had to use nitroglycerin. (laughs) That's so odd. I know. (laughs) I know, he just, like, really loved blowing shit up. (laughs) And so the trio ended up making $450 in silver coins, although most of those were melted and fused to the safe's frame. Oh, my God. What an idiot. Yes. (laughs) Oh, this is definitely not big brain. (laughs) (laughs) It's September of 1911. McCurdy and two other men robbed the Citizens Bank in Chautauqua, Kansas. I left the name of the town in because I like it. After the men spent two hours trying to break through the bank wall with a hammer, McCurdy decided it was boom boom time. And he placed a nitroglycerin charge. (laughs) It's boom boom time. (laughs) It's boom boom time. He placed a nitroglycerin charge around the door of the bank's outer vault, but again, he used a little too much. 
The blast blew the door through the bank, destroying the interior. But luckily, it didn't damage the safe inside the vault. McCurdy then tried to blow his way into the safe, but that charge failed to ignite. And after that, the lookout man got scared and ran off. So the other two men scrambled to grab whatever they could, which ended up being about $150 in coins (laughs) before they fled the scene. What an idiot. (laughs) On October 4th, 1911, McCurdy attempted his final robbery. I told you it was short-lived. He had split from his previous accomplices, but picked up two new burglar buddies when he made it to Oklahoma. (laughs) I just really liked burglar buddies. The three bandits planned to rob a train, again, that they had heard was carrying $400,000 in cash. Unfortunately for them, McCurdy and his buds mistakenly stopped a passenger train and were only able to get away with $46. Two of those big plastic jugs full of whiskey, you know the kind that you put in like water dispensers at an office, but of whiskey, an automatic revolver, a coat, and the train conductor's watch. A newspaper later called the robbery, quote, one of the smallest in the history of train robbery. (laughs) That's gotta (laughs) hurt, McCurdy. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, he was definitely disappointed. Understandably, yeah, he barely got anything. Yeah. So he returned to the hay shed where he was living in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Then, and that's where he started drinking some of that whiskey, because why not? Yeah. Again, that whiskey in giant freaking tubs. How do you even pour that effectively? It's like I think he would just open it and then pour it into his mouth. He's an alcoholic. Right, okay. So He probably put a straw in it. He probably also uses straws, that SOB fucking. <laughs> <laughs> he had he had one of those crazy straws that are like glasses. <laughs> and he would just stick it in the jug. <laughs> he stole those too. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somebody just had them on the train. And he was like, that's was cool. Let me have that. That's how I'm going to get drunk from now on. And then he watches the whiskey go by his eyes, and then he drinks it all up. Yep. That alcoholic McCurdy. That rascal. So so you can either shoot this week's shooter, or you can drink it through a crazy <laughs> straw to you. If you use a crazy straw for this shooter, you're crazy. I don't know. It's <laughs> a, I, I can't imagine absinthe and Goldschlager tasting better through a straw. Like, I don't know. <laughs> But, you know, you tell me. So, back to McCurdy. So, we know he's a full-blown alcoholic at this point. But in addition to that, McCurdy was also suffering from tuberculosis, a mild case of pneumonia, and trichinosis, which is what you get from ringworm. Which is not a surprise, because he's living in a in a barn, essentially. Damn. Yeah, so he's doing really well. He <laughs> stayed up that night drinking with some of the ranch hands before finally going to sleep in the hayloft early the next morning. All the while, McCurdy had been implicated in the train robbery that he, the smallest train robbery, and a $2,000 reward had been issued for his capture. So they are willing to spend more than he made. Much yeah. more <laughs> to catch him than yeah. what he actually stole. Okay. Overall, more than his total in robberies, I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, seriously. In the early morning hours of October 7th, a posse of three sheriffs tracked McCurdy to the hay shed using bloodhounds. 
They surrounded the shed and waited for daylight, which was when they assumed McCurdy would come out, and then they planned to apprehend him. Well, McCurdy must have looked outside because instead of an easy capture, it became a shootout. McCurdy was killed by a single gunshot wound to the chest. Now, that sounds like it should be the end of his story, right? Yeah. Wrong! Oh my god. McCurdy's body was taken to the undertaker at Pawhuska, Oklahoma. Since he had no family left there, the body went unclaimed. So Joseph L. Johnson, the owner and undertaker, decided to embalm the body with an arsenic-based preservative, which was typically used in that time period to preserve a body when no next of kin were known. Then Johnson shaved the face, dressed the body in a suit, and stored McCurdy's body in the back of the funeral home. That's so creepy, though. (laughs) I know, but it was what he was supposed to do. I know. (laughs) But over time, as it continued to go unclaimed, Johnson continued to go unpaid for his services. Until he came up with an idea. Johnson dressed the corpse in street clothes, placed a rifle in the stiff hands, and stood it up in the corner of the funeral home as an exhibit. For a nickel, visitors could come and see the bandit who wouldn't give up. McCurdy's body became such a popular attraction at the funeral home that eventually it drew the attention of carnival promoters. Johnson received numerous offers to sell McCurdy's corpse, but he always refused. Oh my god. (laughs) On October 6, 1916, a man calling himself Aver contacted Johnson and claimed to be McCurdy's long-lost brother from California. The man had already contacted the local authorities to get permission to take custody of the body and ship it to San Francisco for a proper burial. The next day, Aver and another man named Wayne, who also claimed to be McCurdy's brother, showed up at the Johnson funeral home. Johnson released the body to the men, who then put it on a train that Johnson assumed was headed for San Francisco. Only... These men were not actually related to McCurdy at all. The men were, in fact, James and Charles Patterson, owners of the Great Patterson Carnival Shows. The body was now on its way to Arkansas City, Kansas, where it would be a feature in Patterson's Traveling Carnival as the outlaw who would never be captured alive. McCurdy's body stayed on exhibit there until 1922 when the Patterson sold the Traveling Carnival to Louis Sonnet. That's how I've decided to say his name. If I'm wrong, let me know. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I like it too. I hadn't actually said it out loud until that moment, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they used McCurdy's corpse in his traveling museum of crime, which uh, honestly sounds interesting, which otherwise featured wax replicas of famous outlaws like Bill Doolin and Jesse James. Then in 1928, the corpse became part of the official sideshow that accompanied the Trans-American foot race, which I guess was like... A bunch of people racing, and it was the first big race event that America had. In 1933, it temporarily changed hands again when it was purchased by director Dwayne Esper to promote his exploitation film, Narcotic. Esper put McCurdy's body on display in the lobby of theaters, calling him a dead dope fiend. Okay, that's our new podcast. Dead drunk, I don't know you. Dead (laughs) dope, that's me. Dead dope. Esper claimed... To have killed the dope fiend himself while he was trying to rob a drugstore to support his habit. I guess this this supported his propaganda movie about narcotics, which, I mean, we know that narcotics are dangerous, but he's he's using this dead bandit <laughs> to promote his, his thoughts oh on God. drug use. By this time, McCurdy's corpse had become mummified. The skin had become hard and shriveled, which caused the body to shrink in size a little bit. 
Esper just used that to his advantage, and he started telling people that the skin's deterioration was proof of the man's drug abuse in life. Oh, my God. Just rolling with the punches. After Sone died in 1949, McCord- <laughs> McCordy. McCordy. <laughs> McCurdy's corpse was put in a storage warehouse in Los Angeles, where it stayed until 1964 when Sone's son, Dan, lent the corpse to filmmaker David F. Friedman. McCurdy's body made a brief appearance in Friedman's 1967 film, She Freak. Then, in 1968, Dan Sone sold the body along with some wax figures to the Hollywood Wax Museum. Yeah. Oh, Spoonie Singh. No. <laughs> this, this isn't even the end of, of McCurdy's journey. So. <laughs> oh, my God. Spoonie, Spoonie Singh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I love that name. Spoonie Singh. I, I really love it. <laughs> and I've been waiting to say it. <laughs> Spoonie Singh. Okay. Spoonie Singh, the owner of the museum, had purchased the figures for two Canadian men to put on display at a show at Mount Rushmore. While on exhibit there, a windstorm caused some damage to the corpse. Uh-oh. The damage could be noted on the tips of the ears, but mostly on the fingers and toes, which were now completely blown off. Oh, my God. The men eventually returned the corpse to Singh, who decided that it looked too gruesome and not lifelike enough to exhibit. Oh, my God. So he sold it to Ed Leerch, part owner of The Pike, which was an amusement park in Long Beach, California. Now, in 1976, McCurdy's corpse was hanging in Laugh in the Dark, a funhouse exhibit at The Pike. On December 8th, 1976, the production crew for the television show The Six Million Dollar Man we're filming scenes for an episode at the Pike. During the shoot, a prop man went to move what he thought was a wax mannequin hanging from a gallows. When the mannequin's arm broke off, the prop man was horrified to discover that it wasn't made of wax, but instead bone and muscle tissue. Oh, my God. The police were called and the mummified corpse was taken to the L.A. coroner's office. The body was completely petrified coated in wax and covered with layers of phosphorus paint. In the examination, they discovered traces of arsenic, tuberculosis in the lungs, and the bullet jacket from the shot that killed him. Oh my god, he was still wearing it? He, oh, the bullet, the casing of the bullet, I think. Oh, I thought it was the jacket he was wearing. (laughs) No, 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 no. The, I think the bullet was removed, but some Whatever the bullet jacket is, which I imagine is the yeah, casing or something. Yeah, must be the casing. Yeah, I'm just yeah. I'm a little slow. Was still inside. <laughs> so they found that. And those clues helped them figure out the era in which he died. And they found more clues uh-huh. when the mandible was removed for dental analysis. Right. Inside the mouth was a 1924 penny and ticket stubs to the 140 West Pike sideshow. And Louis Sonny. Louis Sonnet's Museum of Crime. So he literally had <laughs> where he'd been tickets tickets from where he'd been in his mouth. That's so funny. Investigators immediately contacted Dan Sonnet, who confirmed that this was the body of Elmer McCurdy. Uh, yep, that's Examina- him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's just Elmer. <laughs> <laughs> Examination of the corpse's skull further confirmed his identity. And finally... The bandit who wouldn't give up would be put to rest. Thank God. On April, he really didn't give I up. I know, right? Even after <laughs> death, he didn't give up. 
On April 22nd, 1977, a funeral procession was held to transport McCurdy to Summit View Cemetery in Guthrie, Oklahoma. A graveside service was held and approximately 300 people were in attendance. I just want to say, if if less than 300 people come to my funeral, I'm going to be really pissed. <laughs> I think it really <laughs> says something about how much fame he accrued after death because had he been buried in 1911, nobody would have shown up. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> after that, Elmer McCurdy was finally buried right next to another famous outlaw, Bill Doolin. To make sure that McCurdy would stay buried, two feet of concrete were poured over the casket. Because <laughs> they thought somebody so, was going to come dig him up. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just to sum that up for you, Elmer McCurdy, the bandit who wouldn't give up, was shot dead in 1911, but wasn't laid to rest until 1977. For 66 years, his dead body traveled the country. That is like a whole so, other lifetime. I know. So you're right. He really didn't give up. He didn't give up living even <laughs> after his soul left his body. He, <laughs> this is just the craziest story I've ever heard. So I love. I it. hope you guys enjoyed it. I loved every part of that story. Oh, my it's God. It's super creepy. And again, my inspiration came from YouTube. Another kind of history YouTube is Salmonella Academy. Okay. Sam. O apostrophe Nella not Academy. Not not Salmonella the disease, <laughs> but Sam O apostrophe N E L L A uh -huh. Academy. And he had a video on dead body hijinks. So if you want to learn more about dead, dead body, body hijinks, hijinks throughout history, and surprisingly there's a lot because before modern times where it's pretty much frowned upon by everyone to have have a dead body like and keep a dead body back in the day oh you could get away with a lot yeah so, there's a lot of dead body hijink stories out there so if you want to check it out we'll link that in our show notes we don't it's not a partnership but i love it again i'm just giving you guys my youtube recommendations because that's what i watch <laughs> nowadays so if you like this i can give you guys some more weird creepy stuff i loved it I loved every part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it too. Since I heard about him, I was so excited to tell you guys about the bandit who wouldn't give up. <laughs> All right. Should we plug our, our things? Sure. If you want to share a story about a dead body that you know about, you can do that with us in our Facebook pages, which are... Dead Drunk A True Crime Podcast and our discussion group Dead Drunk Discussions. If you have something spooky that you think that we should cover and we should talk about, you can send that to us, email that to us at deaddrunkpod at gmail.com If you make this shooter, um, which, you know, I don't know if you should. I don't know if it's a good idea to drink absinthe and Goldschlager, but like, if you wanna. It depends on the night you're trying to have, I think. Yeah, it depends on what you're trying to do later. Are you trying to do something? Then maybe no. But if you don't have anything to do for the it rest... Is, for the it is a pandemic, so if you are going to stay home and be responsible... Uh, you can also be irresponsible at the same time. <laughs> there we go. We brought it together. <laughs> well, anyway, share that with us. You can share that with us on Instagram at... Dead Drunk Crime. And tweet it at us. At Dead Drunk Crime. You can also... Well, I'll, I'll try and create a shooter section where I could put the spooky shooters on our website. But otherwise, all of our main cases are listed on the website at 
deaddrunkpodcast.com. And we still have our Patreon, where we're unlocking Israel keys. And if you want, you can join us to get an extra spooky shooter every month. Yes, patreon.com slash deaddrunk. We also have merch, which you know about. And if you want our logo on anything, Tierney will just make it for you. Yeah, you can just email DM, us for that. DM me or something. Oh, DM. DM us. Slide That's into my DMs. Or, or email <laughs> us. That's probably more professional. You're correct. Oh, it, it doesn't matter, though. <laughs> you, don't have, you don't have to be professional with us. It's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And I think that's everything. Yeah. The store and the sources and the link to where I got the drink will be listed in our show notes. And yeah. other than that, stay out of wax museums, kids, because <laughs> you don't know which ones are wax and which <laughs> ones are made of bone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm never going to a wax museum again. <laughs> Sorry to my future children. That's not an activity that we will be doing. Sorry. I'm sure they'll be fine without it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. Did you see the um the TikTok that it might have been on Reels or something of the girl who um was like giving a presentation and it was on like a topic of your choice and she goes to her mom and she's like, um, so everyone else did like dogs or ice cream. Um, or lizards, and I have to go tomorrow, and mine is on serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, the teacher said, like, there was a, a thing about lizards, and, and someone said, like, oh, their tails fall off when they get scared, and the teacher was like, that's gross. And and now I have to go tomorrow and talk about a guy who ate people. <laughs> <laughs> and the mom was like, oh, Jeffrey Dahmer? And she's like, yes! <laughs> Wow, I love that for her. If you're yeah. going to use this in a presentation, um, do it. There's a ton of pictures of Elmer McCurdy out there, <laughs> which I highly recommend blowing up in a PowerPoint. Oh, oh wait, we're not in person. Oh, share your screen so that no one can avoid it. <laughs> Sharing your screen in Zoom so no one can avoid <laughs> looking at this 66-year-old dead body. Yes. So <laughs> I love that. And that's your helpful tip for today from this creepy shooter <laughs> <laughs> i called it creepy it's spooky but this one was more creepy yeah than spooky, I feel. but it was fun too i yeah, think it was it, was, it was all of everything together if i if i don't get to travel around in life i want somebody to take my dead body all around the world oh i will <laughs> okay cool yeah <laughs> on that note best wishes or mr gods <laughs>
Yeah, but it was fun too. I think it was it was all of everything together. Oh, I will. Yeah. <laughs> Warmest regards. 